Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. Today I'm joined by Sanjita and I can't wait to introduce her to you. Um, lovely to have you here with me. Thank you, Melissa. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Um, let me step through a little bit of background to help people understand a little bit more about you. So um, excuse me while I just step through this. So Sangeeta is the chairman of Fairvine Super, CEO and founder of Applegrove Capital. She also serves as a board member of Women and Banking and Finance, treasurer of Australia India Business Council for New South Wales, and advisory board member of JC Happiness Charity Foundation in partnership with the Fred Hollows Foundation. Having worked in the banking and finance sector for close to 25 years, Sangeet's experience spans the globe, including London, Hong Kong, Mumbai, Singapore, and Sydney, as some of the most prominent and globally recognised firms, such as Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Lehman Brothers, Nomura, KPMG, and the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. She is no stranger to breaking through the glass ceiling. Thus far, she's the only female who's been a CEO of a stockbroking firm in Australia. She's a highly sought after speaker, media commentator, and thought leader across the banking and finance sector, including FinTech, sustainable investing, and gender equality. Sangeeta won the Innovator of the Year Award uh, at Money Management and Super Review Women in Financial Services Award 2019. She has a gorgeous 12-year-old daughter who she learns from every day and is crazy about Formula One. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. That sounds better than I am. <laughs> um, Sangeeta, for people in our audience who haven't had the opportunity to come across you before, would you share a little more about yourself and where your passion comes from? Sure. Uh, when I look back, perhaps I have one word to describe my life, uh, serendipity, if I could say that. Uh -huh. And once again, when I look back, I don't think I have consciously made specific decisions in terms of how I want to lead my life or planned or had a three-year plan or five-year plan. I think if I were to summarize, there are a number of little moments that have steered me in a particular direction good and bad at uh, different stages in life, both personally and professionally. Now, a bit more about me, I grew up in a little town and without much ambition or purpose. And that's the reality. Things changed dramatically for me when I was in high school and I just did well in everything I chose to do, which is perhaps what gave me the push to get out of my hometown and make a life for myself. And I think, each and every experience that I have been through has shaped me up further and I've learned more from that that has taken me to where I am today. If I look at certain parts of in terms of what has really driven me or what has got me to where I am today, a number of factors. One, 
I think I've always liked to do more than what I was given everywhere, be it in personal life or professional life. Example, everywhere I've worked, I've always wanted to do a bit more than my role, which meant that I put up my hand for anything new or any new project or anything that came up. Uh, the other thing is I, I've always wanted to take up a new challenge, always wanted to do more. So every time I saw a new challenge, I would put up my hand and therefore jump and do something else. Um, the other factor is balance. I am a big believer in balance in life. And that stems from the fact that I want everything. I want it all. So when people talk about women can't have it all, I disagree with that. I do want to have it all. And I want to, I make sure that I get it all, which means I got to focus on balance. Balance meaning I compartmentalize my life to ensure that I'm able to live a fuller life. And what that means to me is growing growth through experience, growth through knowledge. Um, and to each person, success is defined differently. For me, it's really about experiencing life. Um, perhaps it's a bit too generic and philosophical, Melissa. Uh, happy to just dwell into anything in detail. Okay. Um, I mean, there's so many questions that come out of that for me um, straight away. But what I'm hearing, um, or the first question that occurs to me, did it ever occur to you along the way in your journey? Because you talk about, you know, people say you can't have it all and you're like, well, I, I want it all. So I'll make sure that I can do that. Were there ever points in your journey where you thought maybe I can't or were, were there ever any sort of barriers that came up along the way that you had to stop and think, um, you know, is, is it possible? Of course. Um, and the classic example is when I had my daughter. Um, and that's something we as women always think about in terms of what is the right balance to achieve in personal and professional life. And I have been through that state of mind a number of times in terms of juggling and what do I want more of? What do I want less of? Mm. And when I say I want it all, what I mean to say is you almost allocate a weighted average method where you say, if I can compartmentalize my life, if I can have it all, how much do I focus on each item that I want to focus on? Mm. Be it your career, be it your personal life, be it on yourself, uh, your passion. Example, I, I have a master's degree in classical violin and I played that on the side. I don't do much of that now, but I did a lot of that before. So, and that has now driven me to do something else and I've tried to pick up other instruments. Mm -hmm. So it's really about balancing and making sure that you achieve, you strike the right balance. Talking about home and work, example, I pick up and drop my daughter off at school four days a week. Mm -hmm. And there is one day a week I don't. And that's the day for me to go out and do what I want to do, be it with clients, be it at work, whatever that might be. Mm. Three years ago, it was different. Three years ago, I spent three days working late and two days with my daughter. So I think at different stage in your life, you pick and choose what you would need to focus more on um, and what you can have less of. And it's just that choice. So how did you, did you always know what you wanted to do um, from a career path perspective? So, you know, was, was investment banking in your future? No, not at all. If anything, I tried, I, I spent a lot of time trying to know what I really wanted to do. So example, my first job was at KPMG. I spent four years there. By the end of it, 
I had tried auditing, tax advisory, corporate finance, and none of them clicked for me. And I wasn't sure if that's because I did them for a certain number of months or years and that was enough, or I generally didn't enjoy it. So I went on a mission to find what I really wanted to do. I quit my job and I spent time interviewing with pretty much every sector. I interviewed in advertising companies, marketing, events management, even jewelry designing. Right. In the end, I went back into investment banking at Goldman Sachs. And maybe it was a little bit of familiarity in terms of what comes to me naturally, what I'm good at, and plus being acknowledged or made to feel relevant. So yeah. there are a variety of factors, but no, I've never knew what I wanted to do. And like I said earlier, there are a lot of little moments that have shaped my career, spe uh, specifically speaking. Example, I don't think there are many examples. I have gone from KPMG in professional services doing auditing, tax, corporate finance, to investment banking at Goldman Sachs, to fixed income at Morgan Stanley and Lehman Brothers, to uh, foreign exchange at Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and now a superannuation fund and investment advisory. They're quite different. They are so different to many people that, um, and the only reason I chose those moves is because something in those roles or um, challenged me and made me feel that not only can I contribute something and enjoy, but I also learn from that. Mm. Sangeeta, it's um, interesting that, um, you know, the research would indicate that a lot of females um, wait to be tapped on the shoulder. They wait for some form of external validation before they put their hand up for the next opportunity, the bigger role. Um, and quite a few of the people I've interviewed in the series um, have shared their own personal stories about that, where their reflection was, you know, I've been working here for a long time, people know me well, if they wanted me to do the job, they would come and ask me to do it. Have you had that experience yourself? Or, um, you know, what, how does that sort of resonate with you, that conversation? Uh, well said. Early on in my career, absolutely yes. And even today, I doubt myself if I'm good enough for a certain role. Um, almost every day, I have certain doubts about what I can and can't do. Mm. Uh, early on in my life, absolutely, I used to wait to be asked to do something and to be given an opportunity. However, that changed over a period of time, especially because I ended up moving geographies so many times. Um, and that's when I started putting up my hand to want to do more. But interestingly, I always did that in addition to my existing role. Mm. And it only happened towards the, let's say, when I was in my late 30s, where I started actively pursuing what I wanted to do and actively defining my career goals and how I wanted to lead them. And that's when things changed for me dramatically. And I started driving uh, my career rather than being wait rather than waiting and being asked to do so something happened did something change you know what what do you put that down to a variety of factors uh, first and foremost is having fantastic sponsors as in managers that clearly helped me because they are the ones who made me believe in myself you often question because uh, unlike how do I say it, my mum never worked 
And I don't know many women when I was growing up who had a life of their own, which was different from being at home. Mm. Um, so there was always a question of, am I good enough? And if I am good enough, I will be tapped on my shoulder and asked to do a particular job. And if I'm not being asked, maybe I am not good enough and I just need a bit more experience. That changed due to a number of reasons. One, people, other people believing in me and pulling me out and challenging and pushing me out, which has been amazing. Um, and I've had some amazing sponsors. I'm still in touch with my first hiring manager, which was 25 years ago. Fantastic. And these are the people who, I, I, example, I still remember there was a presentation I made about a new project or a new team to be set up. And I gave it to my manager at that point in time. And he wrote back just one, uh, a few words, one comment, aim bigger and gave it back to me. Mm -hmm. And I guess these are little moments that have shaped and defined myself and my life. And they have made me believe in myself a lot more. And it's about confidence, believing in yourself and backing yourself. And with age, things get better. So I think what's happened is with the experience I have had, with the people I have worked with, um, things change to an extent where I told myself that I'm going to be on the driving seat and go and get what I want. Uh, I also think that today's, uh, the information we get, all the things we hear about how women are different and how we, we are limiting ourselves also shapes you and at least they have pushed me to start thinking differently. Mm, that's fantastic. Can I stay just on that track just a little bit? And people would refer to that as sort of imposter syndrome or otherwise um, at various points. Some of the other research talks about um, men are 40% more likely to ask for a raise. And when women do, they ask for 30% less. Um, you know, have you either yourself personally or in your experience as a leader, have you seen that and... and um, what can we do to, uh, to change that? <laughs> wow, that is true. Personally, in my 25 years of my career, I think I asked for a raise once, just once. And even that time, I was so hesitant and so concerned and conscious of how I might be perceived. And it was one of the most difficult conversations I've had in my life. Mm. I've always assumed that if I'm good enough, I'll be paid more. And it's often not the case. You don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. And having run teams, you're right exactly uh, on the money there where when I've had male colleagues, they have always, always been more forthcoming and always openly discussed pay, openly asked for more money. Mm. And the women colleagues have never asked for that. So that's something that has been inherent in the industry and something that I see every day, both myself in terms of who I am, what I do and what I'm seeing with other people. Mm. Having said that, I do believe the last couple of years or last few years, things, things are changing. Um, I think it's because of awareness, um, knowledge and women are getting more open about asking for what they want. Um, they, women are ambitious, so things are changing for the for the better, definitely. 
Mm. And little anecdotes, my daughter, she puts her price for, if I ask her to do anything, she always says, okay, how much are you going to pay me for that? <laughs> oh, I love that. So I think things are changing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. Not, it's just not our nature. We're not, we're not taught to be like that. We're mm. always taught to be decent, lovely, uh, dutiful, never question, never push back, never ask. So it's a cultural shift. And that takes time. Mm. Sangeeta, there will be people in our audience watching this and they will be thinking, um, you know, I, I could never be like Sangeeta. I could never take the risk she's taken in her career. And, and we will talk about that. We will talk about the startups and your journey going out there. Um, but I want to ask you how you respond to that. And as I do, I just want to throw in um, a quote I saw from an interview you did with CEO magazine, I think last year. And one of the headlines in that was Sangeeta's never been afraid. So I just thought I would throw, throw that out there and say, what, what do you say to these women out there looking at you thinking I could never do what she's done? Well, that's nice to hear. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't see it that way. I don't think I can say I have taken risks all my life. On the other hand, the way I define risk is, risk is something you get into without really knowing what you're getting into. Mm. Risk is getting into with your blinkers on and having no information, no confidence in yourself and no ability to back yourself. So the way I would like to structure this is, yes, I have taken calculated risks and that stems from a variety of factors put together. One is having the confidence in myself that I want to do something and I want it badly enough to want to do it. Mm -hmm. And then being able to back myself in terms of knowing that I have the ability to at least do half of it. The other half you learn in the process. Um, so simplistically put, I have taken calculated risks, but I've taken them knowing that I have a decent chance of success. Um, I haven't gone blind into anything whatsoever. Mm. How important have your networks been in that? You know, um, I sometimes hear people shy away from uh, networking as an example. Um, you know, have you, have you had uh, important networks that have kind of supported you through some of that risk taking or is it, you know, all come from yourself? Networking is uh, an interesting topic as well. In the past, in my life, I don't think I did well at all. I used to be shy to network, always find it awkward to talk to somebody who's even a little bit senior than me. And it didn't come naturally. And I guess given the kind of banks I work with, mainly investment banks, the focus was more about if you make an effort and do a good job, you'll get paid, you'll get a raise and you'll get promoted. Things changed for me dramatically when I started looking at more senior management roles, general management roles. And the fact that I've moved geography so many times, getting a job in a new country where you've never worked before without networks just doesn't work. Mm. And that's definitely driven me to focus more on networking. So for me, networking initially was a need or a necessity more than a nice to have. And once I started networking, it just became easier and easier as time went by. Example, I live by certain rules that 
If I get invited to an event, I do everything to attend. If I get invited to a lunch or a board meeting, uh, a boardroom discussion, I will do everything to make sure I attend because you never know who you meet. And given where I am today, um, since leaving corporate world, my success has 100% been defined by my networks. Mm. Um, it, it has had a significant influence in my life. Um, I still get approached for advisory and board roles and that can only happen when the word travels and people get to know you. Mm. Of course, networking is one. The other thing is you have to make the effort. Why, I mean, for the network to trust and believe in you, you gotta be able to lead by example and be able to back yourself through your work and through your knowledge. So that networking to me, um, you know, I think when people are younger or, or less experienced at networking, it can sometimes come across as, as transactional. Um, you know, people are there looking to see what they can gain or otherwise, whereas I think the benefit and what I'm hearing from you is actually building deeper, um, deeper connections um, uh, over time. Um, 100%. Example, if I go to, a, again, I'm talking, let's look at the younger generation. If I go to an event today, um, I, I'd be happy if I get to know one person. That's enough. Mm. Instead of going and meeting 20 different people and getting 20 business cards, uh, which really is meaningless, I would rather get to know one person really well. Mm. And networking, I do believe, works when both people have a connection and it's, like you said, deeper and more meaningful. So can I ask you about a time that I'm sure people will be fascinated and fascinated at probably your mindset and how you dealt with it. My understanding is you were at Lehman Brothers when uh, all of the events unfolded um, with Lehman Brothers. Can you talk us through perhaps that situation and, um, and how, how you felt at the time? Wow, okay. I, I was eight months pregnant at that time. And going back to those days, we were doing extremely well, the beginning of 2008, and we didn't think anything could possibly happen to Lehman. Uh, top four investment banks in the world, uh, cash was not a problem. We had fantastic people, amazing team members, great leaders. So we didn't ever think, or at least I personally never thought something could go wrong. No. Started unfolding in from my memory after Bear Stearns went down and June July we had some senior leadership uh, exit and that started you know raising questions in my mind on what is going on what do I need to know is it something I don't know and I was right in the middle of that living in London in the team structured credit team or structuring CDOs that was was the epicenter of everything that unfolded and I remember the last week, the last day, Friday, when the Bloomberg screens were showing a share price and things were going tumbling down by the second. Um, I still remember we all left on Friday thinking we'll be fine. Nothing could possibly go wrong with us. Only to be informed um, late Sunday night that nothing is going to go ahead and we can be filing for bankruptcy. I still remember the time Monday morning I came in to pack my bags and uh, clean my desk, exchange numbers um, and 
contemplating what am I going to do in my life? Uh, eight months pregnant, can't get out, look for a job in the market. The market was already filled with so many amazing talent. Um, it was hard to get a job, let alone being eight months pregnant. Mm. So interesting times. But when I do look back, that has been such an interesting experience to build a level of resilience and also self-confidence. Because I, I came back to work when my daughter was three months old full time. Uh, I went back home to have her and I got called in to come back to, Lim uh, to Namura. And I sat at the same desk in the same building with the same team, uh, a, different, a different company. That must have felt so surreal. It was, it was. It was one of the most incredible rides because we built a business and we grew it to a billion dollars in less than nine months, which is perhaps the best journey I've had in terms of building a business. And I know you shared um, with me that that was a time that really um, built your confidence. Um, so it was quite a, a seminal point in your journey. It absolutely was. Again, little anecdotes when I go back. Um, um, sorry, Melissa, is the noise bothering you? No? Okay. Can't hear anything. Okay. Um, yeah, so again, like I said, eight months pregnant, lost my job, lost everything. And I didn't have any hope of coming back to the market at that time. And I got a call from my boss and my boss's boss asking me to come back. And I was hired with a promotion with more money. Um, and coming back at that time uh, with a three month old baby and working full time and traveling a lot uh, overseas absolutely built my confidence, being able to build a business. And that's when I realized that if you put your mind to something, you can achieve whatever you want. Mm. Now, you also shared with me, um, and I want to get to Fairvine Super as, as we kind of navigate this, but you shared with me that you had a dream to start something of your own, but didn't know that you had the skills to do it. When did the dream to do something of your own first kind of start? A long time ago, I think forever, um, forever, 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 forever. I always wanted to be the master of my own destiny. I always wanted to do something of my own, build something of my own. Um, but as my career took off and I went and worked in all these corporates, I don't think I ever thought I had any skills or any skill set to do something. Yeah. I only thought that I was there to support, to grow, to enable. Um, I don't know if it is a confidence thing or a knowledge thing, but I never thought I was good enough to start something of my own. And I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today in terms of having the courage to quit corporate career had it not been for the business partners that I have who convinced me and influenced me uh, that we could do it together. So let's, I wouldn't have. No. So let's talk about that. Um, because I think that's, um, you know, there will be so many people in our audience who can absolutely relate to what you've just said. You know, they've worked in a corporate career for um, their whole lives. They probably enjoy that corporate career. They might be harboring a dream to do something else, but they're sitting there thinking, I just don't, I don't even know where to start. I don't have the skills. What sort of things did they say to you? What did you hear that made you think, okay, I can, I can, I can try this. A couple of things. One, so I started, I ended up starting two businesses together. 
So I quit corporate career and one of the companies is Fairvine, the other one is Apple Group Capital. And in a way it's a blessing. It, it ended up being a blessing because I got approached by the business partners for both the companies, co-founders who reached out to me to say, let's do this. And that's two different people? Two different people uh, from two different wakes of life said, let's do this, let's do it together. And I thought, wow, I like the idea. Um, and I had the questions in my mind in terms of what can I possibly do? How, what can I, um, what can I offer? What is my ability to offer? But I think having left a larger corporate career to then run a stockbroking firm uh, gave me enough confidence to know that, to navigate about setting, out, setting up a company and going from there. These two people, what I love their vision and very different visions, love their vision, like their belief in me and the ability to convince me to get out and do it. Mm. And I was ready and I was financially okay. So I guess these are the things you got to think about. From a, um, logistically speaking, it was the right time for me. Um, I looked at myself and I thought, what is my next challenge? I have done this, I've done that, I've done that. What's my next challenge? And I couldn't have found a better opportunity where two people approached me to say, let's start a business together. So I thought, yes, I'm going to do it. The biggest question was, what do I do? Which one do I choose? And I initially did end up choosing one over the other. Ah, okay. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I've already committed to him and I can't do this. And the other business partner said, give less time if you need to, but just don't say no. So which one came first? Which one did you prioritize? Well, I prioritized Apple Group Capital at that time. Yeah. I that early on. And Fairwine came in later and I was feeling guilty about it, but I loved the idea. I wanted to do that. So in the end, I ended up doing both and I ended up uh, working more than I had expected. Uh, but there was no looking back. And it, I just had to make sure that I backed myself. Financially, I was secure to be able to focus on two businesses, I had the time, uh, I had the support network to be able to focus on both. And both business partners have are incredible and that has clearly helped me to be able to focus on both together at the same time. And what's the passion that comes behind possibly different, but you know, is there a, is there a sort of a passion or a, you know, what's, what's sitting behind those um, business models and Fairvine Super might be more evident, I suppose, but I'm just interested. Uh, making a better, creating a better world or influencing to create a better world because one of them focuses on sustainability. So it's really looking at agriculture, uh, value add, um, renewable energy. The other one, of course, Fairvine is focused on super innovation, financial literacy for women, financial independence for women. And they both have such strong impacts um, in terms of our everyday life and, mm. and the economic uplifting, upliftment of a particular country and the people that it was too hard to say no to either. I just loved the whole concept, the idea, and I knew I had to be involved. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. I would love to ask a little bit about Fairvine Super if we can choose one to focus on. And throughout my conversations, um, and I've had some, some fascinating conversations with a whole range of people, a couple of things come up around 
you know, why, um, about why we should still be having a conversation around, um, you know, gender diversity in particular. And, you know, there's a structural side to the conversations and then there's a, a mindset kind of side to the conversations. And you and I have touched on some of the mindset conversations today, but structurally, um, you know, research shows that women are retiring, I think, with, you know, is it 47% less super? I may have that figure wrong, but, you know, 47% less super than males. Um, and there's, there's evidence that points to why that is in terms of, you know, career breaks and things like that along the way with starting families, a whole range of other sort of reasons. What is Fairvine Super? Because as you said, it is focused on females and female literacy. What is Fairvine Super doing um, in that space? Sure. Um, I'll take a step back because when the idea Kate was brought to me, I questioned and challenged. Um, I, I said, why do we, why do women need something special? And why are we segregating and trying to do something more for women? And why can't they have what men have? Why, why are we trying to do this? And it took me a lot of time in terms of research to understand exactly what he's saying that whilst I always knew that women clearly I'm missing out in terms of having a nest egg. Um, the question was more in terms of, it's quite apparent, has something not been done already? Yes. And, and interestingly, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of literature out there. However, when it comes to doing something, we didn't, I didn't see anything that has been done that has made a tangible difference to that. Mm. Um, still a lot of talk and that's what, uh, that's what we try to focus on. We said, we're going to try and make a difference, but we actually going to make a difference. We're not going to just talk about it. It's not about advocacy because there's enough advocacy. Uh, we're going to go and do something about it. So what we designed was a platform, a super innovation fund that has certain tools that enables our members to save more money mm -hmm. while they are in their career. And it doesn't matter in terms of your age, your uh, socioeconomic status, whether you're married or divorced or single, it doesn't matter. The whole idea was we're gonna help our members save on a daily basis more than what they would save otherwise. Okay. Example, so we have a FinTech approach to that. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. One, we have partnered with over 600 merchants in Australia. And that includes the likes of Myers, Lona Jane, The Iconic, HelloFresh, Uber, and every time we spend, let's say a dollar through any of these merchants, up to 20% is added by the merchant into your super. And that is additional saving. So if I'm spending $100 on a pair of shoes through the Iconic, Iconic mm -hmm. will add up to 20% of that $100, say $20, into my super as additional. Fantastic, why not? So we're rewarding our members to live their regular lives. The other thing we have is a micro savings called Roundups. So you buy a cup of coffee, a glass of champagne, and what happens is the, let's say you spend $3.50, it gets rounded off to $4 and the 50 cents goes into your super. It might seem small in terms of micro saving, but if you add that over a period of 25, 30 years, it, it, is, it comes to 150 to $200,000, which is a good amount of money. Mm. So we have about six different tools that really enable our members to save more during their life. The other thing we focused on is really life moments. Example, you having 
a child and you're taking time off from work. And this is coming more from the ethical part of us to say, we should not be charging our members uh, fees because they are not earning money at that time because they're taking a career break. Mm -hmm. And that has gone a long way in supporting a member base. Mm -hmm. uh, we launched a new tool uh, last year during COVID called Fair Gig to really support the gig economy workers. Right. We acknowledge that women are more often the supporters or contributors of the gig economy because women are the one who end up taking part-time work, consulting jobs, which means they often lose super. They don't qualify for super. So our idea was we're going to set up a platform that our members can choose to top up into their super so they don't suddenly wake up after 20 years and realize they don't have any money in their super. So these are just certain tools. And the idea is to keep it simple, nimble, easy to use. You can change um, your contributions at any stage and back it up with enough information, enable them to really understand their super and make full use of it. Hmm. Um, congratulations um, on that and congratulations in particular on, I think, as you said, doing something about it, um, you know, not not just talking and understanding that there's a, a challenge there, actually getting involved and doing something, which I think is incredible. So thank you to your business partner for convincing you to... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks to, to give this a go. Now, I know you're quite active in your uh, daughter's school and, you know, you work with sort of mentoring um, younger people as well. Does that give you um, hope for the generation coming through that they're, uh, they're braver than we might be in, on some levels or different? So it all started with uh, when I was approached to to support or judge or help a committee that was set up in my daughter's school called Young Entrepreneur Society. It's called YES, Y-E-S. I was fascinated and I went for an evening of discussion and I was completely taken aback by the quality of the presentations and the way young girls are thinking these days mm -hmm. to be entrepreneurial, to be able to um, not even feel that they have to be uh, treated differently and I saw the energy the courage and the quality of the information and the research that's gone into it and that's what prompted me to say that I would like to get more involved and I put up my hand to sponsor that society and I do have an ulterior motive here it's I want my daughter to see that she can do anything she wants mm. and this is one way to really get involved and be able to give back to society. Um, I do think young, the younger generation is so different from at least how I was. At least when I grew up, I had no idea what I wanted to do. What are the options available to me? I always second guessed my capability. Uh, the, the younger generation today, the girls are incredible. They are so brave. They are so well read, well researched. And interestingly, one of the businesses that was discussed at that meeting, uh, one of them is actually coming to fruition. And these are year 10 or 11 girls who are setting up a company. Fabulous. What a fabulous story. That's absolutely fantastic. 
Sangeeta, can I ask um, our final question today um, that I'm asking of all of the people that I'm having a conversation with? And that is, from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like today and does it need to change? Wow. To me, brave, brave is believing in yourself and leading life with conviction, grit and compassion backed by authenticity. Mm. Um, that, that's brave for me and that's how I have applied that to myself in terms of does brave feminine leadership needs to change I, I don't think it technically needs to change because things are changing we are seeing a lot more women coming out there and trying to do things uh, leadership in terms of composition of women has changed dramatically in the last 20 years and perhaps I'm not even thinking brave feminine here, brave leadership in general, it's the same quality. The one thing that I would like to see change is more women believing in themselves mm -hmm. and more, more women feeling confident that they are good enough and perhaps not being shy to be authentic. Uh, we often try to portray leadership in a particular style and we often try to fit in that mold and our leadership style is clearly different from what has been the case historically. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be shy to embrace that and choose our style that suits us and that brings out the best in us. Fantastic. I have, um, I have really enjoyed our conversation and uh, no doubt myself and the audience will have so many more questions. Um, I know we want to make it easy for people to be able to find out a little bit more about Fairvine Super as well. So we'll make sure that there's some details included here so that people can actually access that. But Sangeeta, I just want to thank you um, so, so much for joining this conversation that we're still having and we need to keep still having. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you join today. Thank you so much, Melissa. It was a pleasure. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.